It's got a soul, this here old farm It falls asleep inside my arms We walk the fields under the stars For love is here in Goldshaw Farms Welcome to the Goldshaw Farm Podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. Each episode on our podcast, we tell you stories about people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And I got to admit, right now as I'm sitting on my front porch, getting ready to record this podcast for you guys, this has been a tough day here on the homestead. Um, when I got up this morning, uh, much like I do every morning, I go out and check on our ducks and, and usually go let them out and feed them and give them some fresh water. But when I walked out there this morning, uh, the duck house was slot. But when I walked out there this morning, the duck house was silent. The usual quacking and murmur that I hear each morning was just not there. I looked inside the window of the duck house and I saw our white Pekin ducks uh, just covered in blood. So it turns out we had a, a weasel attack the ducks in the duck house last night, and uh, they 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 ripped up the ducks pretty bad. One of them was killed. Uh, probably about 14 of the ducks were injured. They all had bite marks on the back of their neck and head, and uh, I don't know. I'm really worried about my ducks right now. I hope they make it. I hope they pull through. Um, ducks are a big part of what we do here on our farm at Goldshaw Farm. But, you know, in all of this and, and in all of my struggle and, and sort of sadness about this situation right now, I know that I'm not alone. I know that people deal with animal problems all the time. People deal with other problems all the time, especially on their homesteads and farms. I've got a special conversation for you guys today. Um, my good friend Rose Duncan from Wholesome Roots is going to join us. Rose, if you guys don't know her, she and her husband live uh, down in Georgia. They've got a couple of kids and they do some incredible stuff. Rose is probably one of the most experienced gardeners that I know. She could probably write books and books and books about taking care of goats. But beyond Rose's knowledge and skills, what always impresses me most about Rose is some of the adversity that she's had to work through and how she's just pushed ahead and really made an incredible story for herself. So without waiting any longer, here is my conversation with Rose Duncan from Wholesome Roots. I grew up in, in Massachusetts, like you said, and a, a small farming community, a coastal town that was all fishermen and farmers, um, dairy, dairy cow farmers all around me. And my parents were both total hippies, <laughs> and they just did everything. The back to the land movement was huge right then, and when they were getting started and getting married and having five kids and so they were all about having a farm with kids and goats and chickens and pigs and whatever. And they actually did it on a really small piece of property. As a kid growing up, I thought it was huge. I thought we had this big farm, you know. But when I look at it now, I'm like, how on earth did we grow so much food in such a small little space? 
Um, I, I, I really, I think it's like an acre and we were like, we were growing everything. So that was, um, my childhood growing up. And then, uh, as a going into my senior year of high school, I, the summer before my senior year, I decided I was going to go and see my sister cause she was having her third child and I wanted to help her with the new baby. And she lived in Arizona. So 17 year old flew out to Arizona by myself. I had my return ticket for three weeks later and I never returned. So that's how my journey began. I decided I was going to stay in Arizona and help my sister with her kids and start my life over kind of like I just kind of had that moment in my adolescent childhood. But at the time, I didn't know it was adolescent childhood. I thought I was grown and I just felt like I needed to restart. And what what better way to do it than just moving 3000 miles away from home and emancipating myself and completely being completely self-sustainable for myself. And that was how it started. And I met my ex-husband there in Arizona and he is why I moved around so much. So he followed his job career and I just went with him. So we, after he graduated college, he got a job opportunity in Kansas, which was where his parents lived. So we had a rental house ready for us that they had, um, that happened to be open and available. And then we moved for a promotion to the Atlanta area. And at that time we didn't really know where to, you know, where was a good spot to move. And we moved to kind of a bad spot. And nine months later we were getting out of there as quick as we could. And we went to North Carolina and so we lived in North Carolina till um, the 9-11 industry collapse of, you know, airlines and everything. And there was a lot of layoffs and he didn't get laid off, but his position was removed from North Carolina. So working for Delta, he had to take a position in Atlanta. So we moved back down here and that was 15 years ago that we moved back down here. So I've been here in Georgia for 15 years. Um you know, it's it's been a long time <laughs> that I've been living this life. And, and you know, along the way, everywhere we lived, we always had gardens. Um, and we always canned stuff and, you know, cooked from scratch and everything like that because that's how I grew up. And I always tried to have a piece of that with me. It, even when I was living in uh, an apartment in Arizona with a tiny balcony, like big enough for two chairs, it was packed full of tomato plants and pepper plants and herbs. And so that was that was my way of being a 17 year old getting away from getting away from the homestead life. And I didn't want to be away from it. Once I was gone, I realized that I missed every bit of it and that I wanted to get back to my roots. I, you know, I talk to a lot of people who talk about homesteading, like when they get to a place and they actually get a homestead and, and like finding that property. And then that's when they're going to start a garden or start planting stuff and putting in trees or perennials, you know, as you were sort of had that stint of time where you're so on the move so frequently, what were the core things that you had to find you think about if you wanted to sort of keep your homestead going? It was mainly keeping the gardens going and, you know, and that was, that was where I kept that breath of fresh air because I've had my hands in the soil since I was born 
you know, and it's, it's truly a part of my heart and soul. I mean, my grandfather was a farmer. My, both my parents are horticulturists. Um, you know, there's just no way I could get that out of me. I mean, my, my siblings, they, they partner their own landscape business on Nantucket, you know, so (laughs) it's, it's definitely in the blood. And so I, I, I always tell people that homesteading isn't about the property. It's not. You can homestead anywhere you are, even if you're in an apartment. I did. And I, I, I would go to farmer's markets because I couldn't grow enough produce to really be able to do everything I wanted to do. I would go to the farmer's markets and buy from local farmers and be able to can stuff and put up stuff so that we would have fresh produce all year round. And even without a full-size garden, I was able to do that. So I always try to encourage people to, you know, definitely reach out to other farmers when you feel like you can't do it. There's so many things that you can get from other farmers that you don't have to do yourself if you don't have the space to. So now I, I know you spend a lot of your time talking to people and educating them. How did you get started on that part of, of your background? I think I've always, always been a little bit of a educator. You know, in, in high school, it was I took a lot of leadership roles and positions in a lot of different clubs and stuff because I was always wanting to help people and and, you know, improve things in the school, you know, you know, on a political level, you know, making things better. And that's always kind of been something that I've strived to do. And in college, I actually changed my major at one point from botany to education. And I was going to go into public school education because I loved teaching. Um, but then I found out that there were so many restrictions about um, how you can teach and how you can have relationships with the students. It was during my student teacher training that I was shadowing a teacher and she told me we're not allowed to hug the students if a student is crying we can't hug them and I was like what and it was like the most absurd thing in the world and like I just immediately put my foot on the brakes and said I can't do this I want to be able to to connect with people in a true way and not be limited by some government telling me that I can't hug a child when they're crying. You know, I I just couldn't fathom that idea. So I went, you know, back into the botany side of education. And um, I thought, you know, maybe in the future, I could teach, you know, some type of biology type classes or something. But I really didn't know at that time what I was going to do. And then when my two older children were little. I have a, a daughter in college and a son about to be. And when they were little, I got involved with the 4-H program here in Georgia as an educator, as a teacher. Here more recently in my time with Ryan and, um, you know, our journey together in the last nine years, we did the um, Homestead Atlanta has courses that they teach throughout the Atlanta area. And so we started teaching homesteading classes with them. Um, He's offered wine classes and I did the gardening classes and it was just a lot of fun. I mean, it's something I've always done and in every position I've held, I've always had to do educational um, walks and stuff too. Like um, when I worked at Callaway Gardens at the Butterfly Center, we had, we had 
three daily programs where we had to educate the public. You know, it was at a scheduled time where people came in and we had to teach them whether it was about the butterflies or the parrots or the gardens themselves and just have groups. And then we had special promotions that we would do where you could sign up to be a gardener for the day. And, you know, and I had interns. And so it's just, I've just always really loved teaching people. And it's, it's what I've always wanted to do. And Ryan and I dream and talk about having classes and workshops here on the farm. Um, but it makes it a little hard when you're renting, you know, cause there's a lot of, um, stipulations that get involved with that. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about your, your setup today and, and describe your homestead for folks and, and kind of what's, what is it looking like today? So now we live on a almost 15 acre homestead and we, we rent it. So we don't get to make big decisions about stuff and that's kind of hard, but we do have permission to plant, plant fruit trees, anything. Um, we don't have to ask, you know, where we're going to plant it. It's a huge property. So there's plenty of room to do so. Um, and the, the things that we've done are basically improvements to the property. We had wanted to put up a, a, an exterior permanent fence, but she was kind of leery about that because we were wanting to take down the barbed wire and put up um, a no-climb red top fence. And so that the, if the goats got out of the Premier One electric net portable fence, there would be no way that they could leave the property and get in the road or whatever, or in the neighbor's garden. <laughs> so she, she wasn't too keen to that idea. She's an, she's an older lady. So she's, she's a little leery about change, but we're able to do the portable net fences and plant our food forest. So that's working out well for us. And I just kind of, in my mind's eye, I pretend like we own it. Because if I pretended like we were going to move someday, I would never plant a fruit tree and move forward with the next step. But I learned from our last experience, we rented for six years. And that first year, I was only supposed to be there a year. I was supposed to find a, a farm to buy in that time. And I didn't. So I didn't plant any fruit trees because I didn't want to plant something and then leave it. But... I knew moving here that I was going to be, to be starting those fruit trees because if I had planted fruit trees at the previous house, we would have been harvesting. You know, that's it, such a good point because I think so many people take that attitude of, well, I'm only going to be here three years or five years or one year. And so they shy away from planting perennials, particularly trees, and, and thinking about like, well, it's not maybe even so much about you as it is, hey, look, you're improving the land, you're creating this thing that could be a resource for other people. And heck, you don't even know. You, you might think you're going to be here a year, but you end up being here 10 years, and mm -hmm. then you can actually reap, reap the fruits of that labor. And and I think so often people are so dismissive of that idea because they, they see their current state as very, very temporary. Yeah, and like I always say, even if we don't stay here long enough to harvest the fruit from these trees, somebody else will. Even if it's not a person, the wildlife will be eating the apples that fall from the tree. It will serve a purpose. It will benefit the earth, you know. And that's another thing that's always been really important to me is the environment, you know, and making sure that we're doing our best to protect it and nourish it. 
So the fruit forest is going to be good for something at some point. <laughs> so, so describe the fruit forest that you're, you're in the process of building right now. I think people would find that interesting. So we, we basically are doing a um, biology 101, the different layers of the forest. So you have your, um, you have your understory trees and, and your big trees and you have the small plants growing underneath and the vines. So that's our end goal. Um, obviously it takes a long time for those plants to get to maturity where you're actually seeing it work together in the network. So we've got, um, our big trees that we planted when we moved here that are down in the old orchard that are getting severely neglected and tortured by deer. So we're going to dig those up and move them to our current location that we're working on improving. And we found out that it's, a, not only a better place for growing things, but it's better for the whole zone one permaculture. Um, having things that are near the house so that we will actually go and work on them. <laughs> I go down to the barn at least twice a day, at least twice a day to do things with the animals. So if I'm going down to the barn twice a day, then having my food forest right there in front of the barn is the perfect solution to make sure that I'm going to maintain it properly to give it the right attention and care that it needs. So we've got apples, pears, peaches, cherries as our big trees. And then underneath, we're going to have the figs, blueberries, pomegranate, goji berry, and then all of the more herbaceous things like blackberry, raspberry, um, strawberries along the, a lot of it is, is fruit, but then we have things like artichoke and comfrey and sunchokes, um, things that we just want to incorporate into that system to give a multi-layered effect. And then of course the vining stuff that we can do, a lot of those are annuals, but we're also looking at the, passion flower vine as a good way to not only provide possible fruit if we have a good year because our growing season's just about right on that line to produce the fruit it's just right there so there'll be some years where it will produce the fruit at a ripen stage it always has the fruit they just don't always ripen and even if that doesn't happen the passion vine is a host plant for the Gulf fritillary caterpillar butterfly. So it's, it's, it's beneficial to the environment and to the ecosystem, keeping things in a healthy balance. And we've got bees back again this year and we located them close by so that we would have full advantage of all that pollination to keep everything healthy and fruiting well. So, so as you're building all this out, What's your longer-term vision for your homestead, either where you're at today or where you want to go? What I really, really want is to be completely self-sustainable. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be able to grow everything that we want, but it means that possibly the sales that we are potentially able to do, if we have excess produce and we sell the excess produce or eggs or milk from the goats um, – if we're able to sell those in order to buy the things that we can't produce. And we also incorporate a lot of bartering into our homestead. We've um, bartered for goats so that we can get pork from a friend that raises their own um, meat pigs. We've traded them goats that they wanted to help clear brush, you know, so 
getting to the point where we're truly self-sustainable and not really relying on outside sources as much as we are now and being able to, and we're pretty close to that already considering we have the eggs and the milk and the, and the produce, but the meat side of things is a little bit harder um, because I haven't had the heart to do meat animals as much as I would like to. <laughs> I, I, I'm okay with the chicken and quail being meat. That's, that's worked out well for us. Um, but the goats are a whole different story. I get way too attached. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny. But yeah, once you cross that line with that animal and, you know, kind of they're more pet or, right. you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's more of a connection versus you're seeing them as, hey, we're bringing these animals on and they are meat. You know, like quail are a great example. Like you, you, you've got them for eggs and you've got them for meat and they don't you don't get so attached to them. But... You know, as I've seen you guys with your goats, they're like members of your family. I mean, Absolutely. just like, you know, the story of Autumn the Goat, I think I was telling a friend of mine the other day about it. It just blows people away. Do, yeah. do you mind do you mind actually telling people who Autumn the Goat is? So Autumn is a very special little girl. She was born while I was at the Homestead of America's conference, actually. And um, I, it was funny because I was standing in a crowd of homesteaders um <laughs> and all of them had cameras because, you know, most of them were YouTubers. <laughs> and Ryan Marco Poloed me. It's an app on the phone for video call, video texting, basically. And he Marco Poloed me. He had just gotten done doing something, and he came out to the goats, and there were babies on the ground. One of my goats had babies while I was gone, and I was just so thrilled. I was like screaming as I'm watching the Marco Polo. I'm like, they're triplets. It was our first triplets ever born on the farm. We have Nubians and they usually just do twins. Um, they're not like Nigerian dwarf that usually have more than two. So it was kind of a shocker to me and I was really excited. And of course, everybody videoed me <laughs> freaking out about my triplets. Well, Autumn, that little girl just came walking over to Ryan right away, like left the others behind. She just was like, from the get-go, from the minute she could stand and walk, she wanted to be with us. And so for a while, she did walk, and she was fine. But then she started to lose strength in her legs. And she went through some ups and downs. I gave her selenium and vitamin E because the, it's a common... Um, deficiency symptom is losing weakness in the legs um and it seemed to improve and then there was something else that happened and she seemed like she was going downhill and i treated her for anemia which we had no idea why she would be anemic so everything pointed to the fact that she didn't get what she needed in the womb and because she was the third and there were two placentas and that's kind of uncommon for goats they do have two horns of the uterus where they could produce two placentas and separate placentas for the babies but generally the babies come out of the same placenta so there were two placentas so we know that she was in a separate um area than her brothers and that's likely what happened is she was depleted and they got everything and she didn't get everything she needed so she started going downhill and she got to the point where she could not walk at all. 
and selenium E deficiency can lead to white muscle disease, and that's what happened. So the white muscle disease completely just the muscles just stop working, and they just they're they're no use to the animal anymore. And so her legs were just limp, limp little noodles that didn't do anything. They had no reflexes. I couldn't she she couldn't push against my hand. There was nothing in her legs left, and I honestly many times didn't know if it was ever going to change. White muscle disease is something that they, that many farmers don't often see a rebound from. Typically, an animal that gets to that point is euthanized. We could not do it. This was our baby girl. And at 10 days old, we, um, she actually was being rejected by her mom for the milk. So we actually had her on the bottle at 10 days old. And so because she was a bottle baby and had to be fed four times a day, we had her in the house. So the whole family literally got attached to this girl before she went downhill. There was no way I was going to tell my little boys that Autumn was going to have to be put down. Like I, and, and Ryan and I couldn't do it. Like we weren't, and she's a fighter. She has so much spirit and so much life in her personality that there's just no way I could see this extremely determined little girl put to sleep just because her legs didn't work. So I kept hope alive. I talked to a lot of people. I talked to vets. I talked to goat experts. I talked to people who had been through the same experience that had recovered from the experience. Most of those situations, the recovery happened quite quickly almost instantly autumn was not quick four months she spent without being able to walk with nothing but us lifting her up moving her legs we tried and tried to keep those legs moving even though she wasn't moving them but no matter how much we did that she still ended up with severe muscle atrophy so severe muscle atrophy is then a whole nother ball game to recover from. So she's had so many hurdles and so many setbacks. And so once we saw that the muscles were reacting again, where she had some push and she had some, some movement in them, we built her a wheelchair and it's a, so, it so a, a goat s- wheelchair. Yep. Yep. We, we got some PVC and we got creative and we made a sling out of a baby blanket for the middle for her to sit in, cut some holes for her legs. And a lot of the time that she was in the wheelchair, we had the wheels off so that she could just stabilize because she wasn't ready for the wheels, really. But as she got stronger and we would put those wheels on, she would just shove herself across. And she had good enough strength in her legs to shove herself to the hay bucket. But she didn't have enough strength to tell her body which way to go. So it was like she she would be all over the place sometimes. Um, so we did that for a long time. And then just this week on Thursday, I was I was I had been noticing her doing more push ups on her front legs, like while she was laying down in her bedding, she would push up and her legs would straighten all the way up. So, and then she started doing it with her hind legs. And I'm like, wait a minute, you can do a push up with your front legs and you can do a push up with your hind legs. 
we just got to get you figured out so you push up on both and have all four legs in the air. <laughs> and on Thursday, I was doing chores and she was there in her little bed and she stood up on her own with no wheelchair and she just pushed herself straight up. She fell right back down again real fast, <laughs> but she did it and she stood all the way up. And so that night Ryan was like, I'm spending extra time out here for her physical therapy. And he was like, he came back in from his evening chores and he said, I had her stand up for 30 seconds without me holding her. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what a miracle. The next day she not only stood for 30 seconds, she stood for minutes minutes and then she took steps and she was taking steps and it was the most joyous moment of my entire farming career to see this goat up on her feet and trying to walk and then um yesterday that was the the very next day after she was actually taking purposeful steps like the first day of stepping it was like stepping sideways and not being able to control her direction and very clumsy. Yesterday, she was like, oh, my food's over there. I'm going to walk to it. And, like, it's only a few steps at a time, but it's amazing that she's even able to walk. This is just a pure miracle. Four months of not walking, and now she's finally coming out of it and finally getting the strength. And she looks so pleased with herself. <laughs> she just has this look on her face of pure determination and, and like, ha I did it! There's no way you could possibly ever eat goat meat. I'm just saying right now, I'm calling it. Like, after hearing that story, yeah, that's just, it's not in the realm of possibilities for you. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is I actually really love goat meat. Like, when we go to the fancy uh, market up in Atlanta, which is like, once in a while um we always get goat meat when we go because we love it you know and i you know i tell ryan i said if we got some meat goats that were specifically meat goats and we knew that that was going to be their purpose i think i could do it it's just dairy goats they're just there's something different about them they have way too much personality <laughs> It's awesome. Um, you know, one of the, the things I know that, that you have to contend with on a, on a regular basis is you have a medical condition. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, last year was pretty much a complete and total bust in homesteading. I did nothing. I did not know what was wrong with me at that time. And I just thought I was losing my mind and that my body was broken and I couldn't do anything. But it was a lot of what was happening to me was, was, um, mentally too. It was not just my physical abilities, both my physical and mental abilities are affected by what I have now been diagnosed with. So it's a thyroid disease called Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disease. So I've got all the symptoms of autoimmune diseases and all of the symptoms of thyroid disease. So it's like a double whammy, plus my adrenals are completely shot. So <laughs> it, it was no wonder why I had no garden last year and could barely keep up with the goats and the chickens. You know, I just didn't have any 
I didn't have any part of me left. Your thyroid controls so many functions, it's not even funny. And the autoimmune side of it, you know, that, that causes a lot of lethargy and it causes a lot of pain issues. Um, and the anxiety and depression side of it was really crippling, really crippling. And until I finally hit rock bottom, you know, we don't have insurance. That's, that's one of the, the downfalls of, of choosing the homesteading life instead of working in a career field that would provide me with medical insurance is, you know, we don't have insurance. So going to the doctors is one of those things where we don't really do it unless it's absolutely necessary. Unless somebody broke a bone, <laughs> we, we, we treat it. And we are very natural minded. So a lot of our treatments, we know what to do naturally at home anyway. So, um, a lot of things that we wouldn't go to the doctors for anyway. Um, so this was big though. This was, this was to the point where Ryan forced me. He, he was very, very concerned about my health and he forced me to go to a naturopath to have my thyroid checked. He actually, you know, just through researching my symptoms, you know, that was what we were figuring was probably what was going on. I, I actually was thinking it was my adrenals only. I didn't think it was going to be my thyroid. But after going to a free class that this doctor offered about thyroid, I was like, I left the class crying. I was bawling. I was like, I had no idea that the thyroid did all of those things. <laughs> like, And, you know, that doctor took one look at me and he said, you're 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 in thyroid failure you're, you've got to change right now and and i was like this doctor's trying to make money off me i was like he's like we, we need to get your labs done right now and so those were the blood work that he had done for me and the antibodies are what shows if you are hashimoto's so i came back like my What's funny is if I had just done the regular panel for thyroid that most doctors order, it wouldn't have shown anything. The doctors still would have been scratching their heads at what was wrong with me because those numbers were in the normal zone. But now as, as you're sort of starting to come out of it and finding ways to manage it, what's it like to be sort of getting back into the things that you were doing before? It's amazing. Um, so once I started treating it and started on my natural thyroid medication um, and all the supplements, a lot of herbal supplements and stuff to treat each of the symptoms that come along with it all, it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm Rose. <laughs> and it's been it's it's been pretty, pretty great to get to know myself again, because, <laughs> um, you know, I for a while I thought it was just depression and I thought the depression was causing the pain and the lethargy and everything because we had a really horrible um, loss on the, in one of our very special goats last spring and that's when everything went downhill so I thought it was just me mentally going downhill I didn't think that it was anything physiologically going on in my body I didn't know and so I've, I've, I've chosen a very carefully which which vegetables were going to be growing to improve our health and get me even stronger so that I can help fight the autoimmune issues that I do have. Um, but here recently I've gone downhill again. I haven't really talked about it much 
because I find that when I express my health issues on my YouTube channel, I do get a lot of good feedback from people who experience similar health issues, but I get a lot of people who are like, I don't want to hear this negativity. And I'm like, negativity, it's my health. I can't help that I'm sick. And so the feedback from the people who don't want to hear about me being sick has kept me from sharing that side of it more. So I, I've, I've been struggling. I've had some, some serious symptoms come back into play. Um, a lot of it is, um, mental. And it's not so much the anxiety and depression this time. It's the, it's not brain fog, but it's, it's almost neurological. I get to the point where I can't talk. Where if I go to say a sentence, it comes out completely opposite of what I was going to say. Words are forgotten. Things that I know, like, like the back of my hand, I forget. And I just, I sit there going, I have no idea. Ask me tomorrow, you know? And it's just like, it's, it's like something happens to your brain when you're going through these things that's unlike anything I could ever describe to anybody. I don't know how to explain it. The only people I have ever met that get it are people with Hashimoto's. One of the things that, you know, obviously you and I know, but everybody else doesn't is you and I text pretty regularly about one very specific topic. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and and now I think maybe to close out this interview, I want to, I want to actually get into that one. Um, so oftentimes we're talking about, hey, what's your story? Like, how do you explain what you're doing and, and, and really highlight for people what you're all about? And I know that that's something you've struggled with in the past. So, Rose, right here, right now, I'm going to put you right, right on the spot and say, what's your story? You're mean. <laughs> um, you know I have a hard time answering this. I... In a big way, I don't know my story. I think, a, I think I'm, in some ways, it's my insecurity of myself that makes me afraid to say what my story is. Because I feel like my story is evolving still. Um, especially because I've been hit with the health blows. I think it changed where my story was headed and, and it's, it's confused me a little bit. But I think, all along, I've wanted to help people. I've wanted to make the world a better place, and I've wanted to educate people about homesteading. I want to encourage people to homestead. I want to inspire people to be self-sufficient and not rely on the grocery store for your food. Uh, there's, there's so many bad things inside those doors. I mean, just when I had... To, when I first got diagnosed, I had to go through an autoimmune protocol diet where I could not eat anything. I mean, there were so few things on the list of things I could eat. It was nerve-wracking to go into a grocery store. Just looking for a box of crackers was torture because it wasn't just gluten-free that I had to do. I couldn't have any nightshades. So I'd go and I'd look, and there would be potato starch in every gluten-free product or I wasn't allowed to have corn at that time. And there was corn as a substitute for the gluten, you know, so th there was, and soy 
and so the the potatoes, the corn, the soy, the gluten, all of these things that I had to completely avoid while I was letting my body detox to find out what foods were trigger. Um, the grocery store cannot feed you, and I, I realized that it was it was you know even more important that my garden became my focus again. And I've been gardening my whole life. And I've been a professional horticulturist for 20 years. I've been a master gardener for 15. It's not like gardening was new to me. It was just, it had become so hard because my health was failing that gardening could not, I couldn't do it. I just, I didn't have the physical energy. I didn't have the mental energy. There was just nothing left in me to push myself out the door to go garden and I feel like that's back I feel like the rose that was always pushing herself to do more and be more is back and so my story is 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 growing with that journey so whether your physical handicaps or your health handicaps or your mental handicaps whatever they might be getting out in the getting out in the garden is such good therapy for all of those things it is a stress relief it is a good exercise for your body and mind and it's got so many health benefits when you begin harvesting those vegetables that you grew and all of those benefits make all of it worthwhile so i really do want to inspire people and push people to just push past your boundaries push past what's held you back whatever it might be you can overcome it. If it, uh, and another big one is finances. I mean, so many people struggle with financial abilities, and, and they say, "I can't afford to homestead." I'll tell you right now, this homestead runs on the smallest budget any other homesteader I know does, and it's no joke. My husband works for a greenhouse. He doesn't do anything fancy, you know. He does what he loves. And he's happy because of it. To me, that's more important than having a high income job. As we start producing more and more stuff on our own homestead, that money doesn't seem as important because we're saving money. We're growing our own food. We'd never buy eggs. We never buy milk. You know, these are things that cost a lot of money in the grocery store if you're buying the organic pasture raised, you know, and we're able to produce it ourselves. And we know we can and we know that other people can. And that's something that we really want to inspire people to do is to believe in yourself that you can do it. Even if you're in an apartment growing a tiny little herb plant on your windowsill, you're doing something to benefit your health, your environment, and becoming more self-sustainable. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. And I gotta admit, I really enjoyed putting Rose on the spot there to get her to finally tell her story. That's been something she's been trying to figure out for quite some time. And you know, really right there in that moment when, when she and I were talking was the first time I've ever heard her really articulate it well. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, be sure to rate and review us uh, wherever you're getting your podcasts. We will be back soon with another podcast, and I will let you know how my ducks are doing. If you want to actually get some more real-time, regular updates about those ducks, 
feel free to follow us on Instagram at Goldshaw Farm or look at our YouTube channel, which is Goldshaw Farm. We put out new videos every Monday and Thursday, and so I'm sure I'll be making some videos about this really soon. And uh, yeah, I gotta say, I, I really appreciate that you guys listened to this episode. <laughs> you know, I, you know, we've only been doing this a couple of weeks, and we've only had a few episodes come out, but I really appreciate the fact that, that people are taking time out of their busy days to uh, listen to us and you know to write such kind words about us in the email and within our facebook group or uh wherever they're getting their podcast and so i just i do want to express some gratitude there and say thank you and uh we will be back soon with another episode of the goldshaw farm podcast where we bring you stories about people who are homesteading farming and chasing their dreams mr keith pierce please play our theme song it's got a soul this hero farm it falls asleep Inside my arms, we work the fields under the stars. The love is here at Goldshaw Farms. A city life yet had its charms. But we would dream of the fields under the stars. I fall asleep inside its arms. The love is here at Goldshaw Farms. Love is here at Goldshaw Farm.